Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. You ready for this? If you are, say amen. All right. I'm assuming what you're ready for is to open God's word, so won't you go ahead and grab your Bibles? Go ahead and grab your Bibles. That's the most important thing we're going to do in the next two hours, all right? So if you have your Bible, please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1, and then turn back one page, because we're going to be in Mark, chapter 16. (laughs) Someone lean to their neighbor and say, he's fired up today, isn't he? (laughs) Okay, five of you that did, thanks. (laughs) New beginnings. That's what this series has been all about. Can you believe a year ago? A year ago, we would have come to this particular time, we'd have opened God's word for the first time to the gospel of Mark 1-1, one, 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 in the beginning, right? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we are one year later, some 40 plus messages later, having journeyed through the perfect life of Jesus Christ, the miraculous works that he performed, the calling of his disciples, the painful death that he just endured, the borrowed tomb upon which he was laid. Now this, the resurrection to come all the way to here. Mark chapter 16. Could you have ever thought that a year ago that as we come to a series entitled, as we come to the end of a series titled New Beginnings, that you and I would be on the cusp of a new beginning ourselves? Who knew? God knew. And so if you are ready, allow for me to pray for us, for I have not the strength to deliver to you the truth of this book without, of course, the power of the Holy Spirit and his presence in this room. And so, Father, we would ask now that you would instruct us. Father God, we've prayed for your leading. We've prayed for your guidance. And certainly, Lord God, we would not abandon that now. Oh, how we need you all the more. Father, we believe it's your presence, it's your name uh, that hangs as the banner high over it all. Father, we need the power of your name in this place. We need the power of your spirit to illuminate these scriptures for us. Help us. Help us, Lord God, to this end, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all of the church said, Amen. amen. Well, today is indeed a monumental day for our church. It's really not every week that you come to church under one name and leave with another. And it is a new beginning, but here's what I know about new beginnings. What I know about new beginnings, at least in my own experience, in my own context, is this. New beginnings are both exhilarating, but new beginnings are also incredibly frightening, are they not? I'll look over to this side of the room uh, to kind of illustrate this. I mean, think about your first day at school. Any of you actually like school? Okay, I'm going to take the lack. So it's opposite day. Awesome. Your hands are down. You all love school. And so, oh, you like school. So there's this exhilaration that comes. School is coming. School, this is a horrible illustration right now, isn't it? But it's really good for the back end of it, actually, because on the back end of a new beginning, there is a fear. Whose class am I going to be in? Who am I going to be sitting with? I don't know. Is anyone going to invite me over to the lunch table today? Is it going to be like last year? There's There's an exhilaration in a new beginning, but there's also a little bit of fear and trepidation in a new beginning. Think about it, your first day of school. How about some young adults? What about your first day of college? Moms and dads, you remember when you drove and perhaps dropped your precious cherub who you've raised to be so incredibly responsible 
and then you drop them off, and you're like, oh, my word. And they're like, freedom! They're so exhilarated. And then as mom and dad leaves, a month later, there's a pile of laundry that fills the entire room, and they're like, freedom. You're exhilarated to see your, your young child that you've raised enter into the world, but there's a fear that comes over you because new beginnings are both exhilarating and frightening. We know it's true. Think about your first day on a new job. All the potential, the potential for success, what's going to happen, or um, then all of a sudden maybe the thought comes into your mind, yeah, huge upside, but what if? What if it doesn't work out? New beginnings. 10% of the room is fired up about new beginnings. The rest of you are like, where do these people come from? Statistics say 20% of you are like, okay, I, I can, I can kind of get on with this. 30% of you are like, we'll see. And the other 30, if statistics hold true, something like that, some, someone's doing the math quickly now, I'm going to call me out, but whatever's left. <laughs> it's like, we'll see how today goes, we'll see. New beginnings, exhilaration and fear. Think about this new beginning. Think about, think about those of you who have had the privilege of coming into a wedding day. Think about the night before. Think about the unbelievable, just the exhilaration, just the unbelievable thought. Tomorrow, tomorrow it's coming. And then you're married and you're like, can you believe it? How awesome is this? You don't have to leave tonight. This is unbelievable. And then it comes, it dawns on you eventually, and they're like, oh my goodness, you are never leaving. <laughs> Fortunately, my relationship skipped that step entirely. On my side. New beginnings, exhilaration, new beginnings, fear. And I have felt the exhilaration of all of those by God's grace. I've experienced those in my life, and I have felt the fear that has come with those as well. But now this, for me, the greatest exhilaration that was equally matched by the greatest fear that I ever felt, of course, was the coming of a new beginning. The new beginning of parenthood. Come on, can anybody agree with me that there's nothing more exhilarating and nothing that literally sends you scared out your mind? I mean the exhilaration. Think about the exhilaration. I love holding him. Oh my word, I'm going to drop him. I get so exhilarated just watching him sleep, a new parent might say. And then you turn and you realize, I may never sleep again. I can't wait to bring him home. How exciting. Oh, my word. I've got to put him in a car seat and take him home? I've had all of these fears, and I've all had all of these exciting thoughts, but for son number four, I had what some of you might um, perceive to be an irrational fear come over me. It's quite the privilege to name a child, but in this particular occasion, I was scared out of my mind uh, in picking the wrong name for child number four. And there was so much pressure. All of you, what are you having? What are you going to name him? Is it a boy or a girl? None of your business. What are you going to name him? Stop asking! Because every time you would ask, I would just get a little bit more freaked out because we would, we would pray about this and we were talking about this and we were reading God's word and we were, trying to, we were seeking what is his name going to be. And eventually we narrowed it down to like 15 
And finally, Robin's like, I'm okay with these three. You decide. Oh, awesome. (laughs) And so I'm commissioned with the privilege on the day of delivery. Hey, give him a name. So the day comes, and I figure on that morning, that's it. That's it. I'm making a decision. It's not like us. We can typically make a So we, we make a decision. And what I did was I actually put it on my Facebook page so I couldn't change my mind. I put a hint on my Facebook page so I couldn't change my mind. And so this post came up on my Facebook page. Today is the day we finally chose a name. Here is a hint, J15. With, with that, you can read some of the comments of people who all tried to guess what J15 stood for. And I thought to myself, awesome. Pressure's off. I'm completely locked in. Um, I believe it was Dan Stone put up Jeremiah 1.5. Ding, he got it right. Therefore, I formed you in the womb. In the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appoint you a prophet of the nations. What a fantastic verse. And what a beautiful name. Then, someone else that we dearly love with the last name of self said, Whoa, Joshua 1.5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Our top two choices, the tent works for the top two choices. So here we are in the delivery room. My whole plan backfired. Go in the delivery room, greatest day of our lives, four times, you've got to be careful. And so, Go in there, you get to cut the cord, you're holding the baby, and you know, you're holding the baby, and the, the nurse is like, and so what is his name, Dad. I would not make eye contact. It was the most awkward moment in all of the world. She's doing all of her little things, you know, that she's doing. Like, as you could tell, she's like, um, so what, what, is, what is his name? Like, really cute little boy. <laughs> she's a really cute little boy. And finally, she's like, you got a name? <laughs> and I'm like, Jeremiah. His, his name is Jeremiah. That's it. I chose it this morning. I put the hint out there. His name is going to be Jeremiah. Anybody, anybody see a problem with this? Any of y'all know the name of my son? Anyone of you know the name of my fourth son? Just say it if you know the name. I'm that guy. <laughs> I'm the guy who 20 minutes after his son was born had to be like, so there's too many syllables in Jeremiah. I was wrong. His name's Joshua. With all the ridiculousness that I felt in that moment, I haven't regretted that decision once. His name is Joshua. When I look at this kid and the way that he seeks to conquer the hump, this kid's name is Joshua. I ain't seen one tear creep out his eye wailing and caring about anybody. His name, his name, his name was Joshua. And as I think about the idea that He had a name, and he had to be given another name, and how foolish I felt having to change the name regardless of the circumstances. As I thought about it a little bit more, I came to realize that changing a name for a good reason puts us in pretty good company. You see, there's incredible biblical precedent. We have a God who is in the the business of changing names. 
We have a God who's especially in the business of changing names when this new name brings clarity upon the calling for which he has risen that particular person to fulfill his purposes. You see, God's in the business of changing names when he has a greater calling, when he has a greater purpose, when he wants to bring precision about what it is this particular person is is going to be accomplishing through the power of his will. You see, God's in the business of changing names, and don't we know this? Think of it. Think of Abram, who became Abraham. Think of Sarai, who became Sarah. Oh, how they became a father and mother of a great nation. Think of Jacob, who became Israel, and the story, and the life transformation that happened there. Think about Simon, who became Peter, and of course, we know about Saul, who became Paul. Today, friends... Today we change our name. Today we change our name, and throughout this entire process of changing our name, we've sought the Lord with this one question. Lord God, what is the name? Lord God, what is it? What is the name that you have for us? And as two clarifying questions, we keep coming back to these two questions. Lord God, who have you called us to be? And what have you called us to do? Lord, give us a name. Give us a name that identifies who we are. Lord, give us a name that when people hear it, they will know what we are all about. Who are we called to be? What are we called to do? And so, new beginnings are both exhilarating and scary, aren't they? One of the elders really wanted me to work in the thumb barometer somewhere in the message, and so here it comes. (laughs) On the scale of this is going to be unbelievable. I cannot wait. No matter what it is, like life is like rocking it. We're, we're running out of here thrilled. To like, I'm, I, I know these guys are going to spoil this. I know that they've totally loused this up, okay? So that's your scale. Are you ready? Come on, pull my out. Come on. I thought you'd already be ahead of me on this. All right, on a scale, on a scale of like super to like bombs. All right, here we go. One, two, three, show me. All right, so most of you, I see a couple of like halfway down. Here's the deal. Regardless of how you're feeling, new beginnings, hear it, are both exhilarating and fearful. Regardless of how you're feeling this morning, hear this. We believe that what's happening in this moment is the Lord's doing. We believe that everything that has led up to this decision was orchestrated by the sovereign hand of God. And our job was to submit under his moving. We believe that we've all in this room been called according to his purpose. We believe that this is his church and that he is building it and is filled with people whom he created. We believe that he has chose each and every one of us before the foundations of the earth, and we believe that he has called all of you and is prepared in advance for all of you individually and as us corporately. He's prepared good works in advance that we would walk in them. We believe this is the Lord's church. We believe what Matthew 16 says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so if God is building his church, that means he has the right and the authority to do whatever he wishes with his church. Because this is Jesus' church, we've taken this whole entire process very seriously. The elders prayed for many, many months before we could even come to a decision as to whether we ought to change our name. And then finally, feeling released in the freedom from the Lord, we brought this to you. 
And then we called upon you, church, to pray and to fast with us for 40 days. Let's go before the Lord and let's ask him these questions. Who are we and, and what are you calling us to be about, Lord? During that time, we came around God's word together and the elders and the pastors of our church wrote devotionals that went out two or three a week where we could come around God's word and really seek his truth about who he would have for us and what he would have for us. Throughout this process, a survey was sent to all of you because he wanted to hear back from you. What is the Lord saying to you as well? What is resting upon your spirit? We want to hear. Every step of the way, every step of the way, we've watched the Lord take us to the next step. We've watched the Lord lead us. It has been unbelievable. 20% of you in this room, 20% of you who filled out a response, 20% of you in one way, shape, or form actually had the name that has been selected for our church written on your response. When it came time for the elders to sit down and really hash out the name that we believe the Lord has for our church, we all wrote down our top three names, having read through all of the surveys, and nearly every single man had this name written on their card. Time after time, the Lord continued to take us, and we kept coming back to the same answers to the same questions. Who are we? Friends, let's not complicate this. You know who we are? We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need no greater identity than this. You are God's chosen people. You have been called out of the world. And so the name church is not just a tag that's put on the end for a designation. The word church is part of our name because the word church is who we are. We are a family of God. We are the army of God. We are the people of God. We are the church of God. Please, when you say the name, I would love for you as often as possible to say the whole thing. Because we're his church. And what are we most about? What are we most about? What are we most about? We are about the mission of Jesus Christ. We are about the mission of Jesus Christ. We're about fulfilling God's plan for this world in this day and in this age. And so with great confidence, with great confidence and with great assurance and conviction, today and here forward, our church will, be, will go by the name Mission Church. If you've been around here for any length of time, you probably are not surprised at all. We are indeed a church on mission. On mission has actually been our ministry theme for the past year. We're focused on proclaiming Christ because that's the mission. We are focused on making disciples who glorify Christ because that's the mission. We are set and focused on planting churches who honor Christ because that is the mission of God. And now here's the amazing thing. There's some things that are just meant to be. I believe in a sovereign God who orchestrates all things. This series was planned a year ago before we ever had it in our mind to change our name. This message was already planned by its topic and by its passage long before we ever had the name of our church selected. I want you just to stop and consider it's one thing for us to speak, for our series to fall perfectly on Mark 15, 
for the crucifixion of Jesus on Good Friday. It's one thing for it to fall perfectly at the beginning of Mark 16 on Resurrection Sunday. But it is utterly remarkable, if not miraculous to me, as a communicator of God's word to think about this. (laughs) The passage today is calling the disciples of Jesus Christ to be set and focused on the mission of Jesus. Come on. And so, if you're ready to gain confidence in living up to this name, if you're ready to call upon the power of God to help us to this end, if you're ready to gain confidence in the mission, uh, would you just say our name back to me? Are you confident? Are you ready? Say it back. Mission Church. (laughs) With authority. I can see you're ready. Mark chapter 16. We're going to pick up verse 14. Here's what you need to know. We believe in preaching the whole counsel of God. We also believe in instructing you so that you can have the greatest understanding about a particular passage of Scripture so that you can be able to refute and defend the Word of God that you hold in your hand. And so before we launch into this text, what you have to realize about this text, hang with me, is that up to this point, we've been certain, we've been confident with conviction to say, John Mark has written the gospel of Mark. We've had been able to say with conviction that John Mark wrote the gospel of Mark under the, under the impressions and, and at the will and at the beckoning, if you will, of the apostle Paul. We've said that with a pretty seemingly good confidence. But there, I do have to be forthright with you to say this. There is debate as to whether John Mark wrote uh, this final ending, these final verses to the book of Mark. And here's how we're going to handle this. It's just very important that we stop and consider this. Because what's contained in these verses is truth. Why do I believe that it's true? Because everything that's written in these final verses is also recorded in other authoritative texts of Scripture. All the events that we're going to read in this ending of the book of Mark can be found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're also going to draw out to the truths of this Scripture knowing that this particular passage of Scripture has sought to exhort, strengthen, and spur on and edify the church for many, 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 many generations. So, Mark chapter 16, verse 14, we're going to hear uh, the word of the Lord and learn here. Here's the context. Jesus Christ has lived a perfect life. Jesus Christ on Good Friday died a painful death. Jesus Christ was buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave Three ladies we studied last week went and visited the tomb and they found it empty. They ran back now and they found John and Peter who ran back to the tomb with them, but it was still empty. Mary Magdalene decided to linger back and of course, Jesus appeared to her and having appeared to her, she got super excited, did she not? And she ran to go tell the rest of the disciples and what did they say? They said this, we will not, we will not believe Some time passes, and two of the disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, and on the road to Emmaus, Jesus Christ himself appears to them, although they don't know it initially, but then he reveals himself. They run back to the disciples, and they're like, he's risen, he's actually alive, and they're like, this time it's not we will not, we're just like, we won't, like we, we can't, we can't, we can't. Got the context? Some disciples believing because they've seen other disciples really doubting right now. And they're probably sitting around the table, perhaps even debating 
what's true and what's not. Now the text, here it comes. Afterward, after his perfect life, after his painful death, after going to the cross, he appeared to the eleven themselves. As they were reclining at the table, he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole, to the whole creation. Listen, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And whoever does not believe will, not, will indeed be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. And he confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Four reasons why we have confidence in the mission. Four reasons why we're fired up about the name mission, and today we've gained confidence to live up to that which God has called us to do. Four reasons. Here's the first one. We're fired up about the mission today because the mission is focused on the cross of Christ. We're focused about the mission because the mission is focused, set, centered on the cross of Christ. Look at the text. Now afterward, after what? After he'd risen from the dead, after he had appeared he goes into the house and finds the 11. Uh, you do remember there were 12, right? Who's missing? Lift up your voice. Who's missing? Yes. Judas is missing. He appeared to the 11 that were reclining at the table, and he rebukes them. He rebukes them. He rebukes them. Why, the text says. The text says he rebukes them for their hardness of heart. He rebukes them because they didn't believe. He rebukes them because those who saw him after he had risen came and bore testimony confirming that which he told them would happen and they refused to believe. Check it, he rebuked them because they did not believe in the power that occurred upon the work of the cross. He rebuked them because they didn't come to believe that Jesus Christ actually dying on the cross, being buried in a grave, could actually and did actually resurrect again. You see, there is no mission. There is no mission to be fulfilled without the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no payment of sin. There is no burial. There is no death defeated if Jesus Christ didn't come up from the grave. And so when Jesus, when he calls his disciples to fulfill the mission that he had prepared for them, he makes it abundantly clear. The mission is focused on the work of Jesus, which, which was accomplished on the cross. Friends, we have no mission if Christ didn't die, we have no mission. If Christ wasn't buried, we have no mission. If Christ hadn't ris risen from the dead, why are we fired up about the mission? Because you can't say mission and you can't fulfill the mission without being set, centered, 100% focused on the cross of Christ. Are you set, centered, focused, on the cross of Christ? Have you come to experience the forgiveness that was provided for you through the pain, through the suffering? 
Are you living a victorious life today? Jesus haven't defeated death. Jesus haven't broken the bounds of sin. Is the cross at the center? When you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit and you actually are able to say to that sin, no, that sin that's gripped you for so long, you're finally able to say no to that. Uh, It's the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh, the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. If he hadn't died, I would still be in that pit. I would still be in that ditch. The mission can only be accomplished by people who understand we have nothing to say, nothing to do, and we are nothing without the work of Jesus Christ upon a cross. That's the mission, focusing on the cross of Jesus. Here's the second thing. The mission is focused on the cross of Christ, but when you understand the cross of Christ, you understand the mission is furthered by proclaiming Christ. You come to understand that the mission is furthered by proclaiming Christ. Look at the text. So he comes and he rebukes them. He refocuses them on the cross, on his resurrection and all that was accomplished therein. And then he said to them, in light of this now, come on, go, go into all of the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The mission is furthered by proclamation of the gospel. And the proclamation only comes when we go. The proclamation only comes when we have a mindset that was once focused here and is now focused there. I want you to stop and consider the scope of the mission. Come on, if you had a globe in your hand and you spun it and you used your finger to stop it, the gospel needs to be taken there. If you were just to drive to HIA International Airport and you just bought a ticket to anywhere... When that plane lands, when your feet hit the ground, know this, there are people in that context that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily where you go. It's that as you go, you have on your mind this understanding. The cross of Jesus Christ has freed me, and now I need to proclaim it to anybody who will hear. That's how the gospel, how the mission goes forward. The mission is proclaiming the gospel everywhere, but note this, the gospel is, the mission is proclaiming the gospel to everyone. The scope, the scope of the mission is to reach the world. The scope of the mission is to reach the world until everyone hears. To the ends of the earth. Until every nation has been reached, that's the scope. But the start of it, the start of it, the start of it begins this way, the person beside you. The scope is the world, but the start of it is the person who will serve you at lunch today if you go out. The scope is every nation, but the start of it is individuals who will realize the mission for me is my neighbor The mission for me is that I seek the Lord, that he would save my family and use me in the process. The scope of the mission is the world, but the start of the mission is realizing that it's everyone, from the first responder who protects us to the obstinate person who's rejecting you regularly. This is our mission. Till every soul hears. That's the scope. But the start begins with whomever face is entering your mind right now. The mission is focused on the cross of Christ. 
the mission is furthered by proclaiming Christ. The text says all of creation, all of creation. It is, it is as if anything that has a soul, anything that has a soul, and every person does, anything that has a soul, that is who we are responsible to share the gospel to. How are we living up to that? You see, we are confident and we are fired up about the mission because Jesus has invited us to proclaim a glorious gospel that saves people from an eternal hell. We are fired up about the mission because he has invited us to proclaim a good news that has rescued us and will rescue others as well. You can't say mission and you can't fulfill the mission without proclaiming Christ. You can't say mission without focusing on the cross of Christ and you can't say mission or be about fulfilling it without proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Here's the third thing. Focused on Christ, furthered by proclamation. Third thing, the mission is fueled by faith in Christ. The mission is fueled. The mission is fueled by faith in Christ. Hear this, everything rises and falls on your grasp of the mission in your life. Eternal destinies hang in the balance of how the church of our day views the mission of Christ. Jesus Christ is sovereign over all. We believe that with all of our hearts, and we believe that he's drawing men and women to himself. But I also know this. The Lord God reaches. He reaches the world. He reaches others through individuals just like you. Could God actually change the world through one person? Could God actually reach an entire people group just from one church? I don't know. Flip through your Bible and you tell me how many individuals changed the world. Consider that we sit here today some 2,000 years later. Imagine sitting in the church of Jerusalem. Imagine being present at the day of Pentecost. You're here. If the mission of Jesus Christ reached you, thousands of years later, and thousands of miles from its origination, who will be reached because you'll respond? Who will be reached because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rise up and take their place in claiming and living up to that which they've been called to do? Reach the nations. Focus on the cross. Focus on the cross. Focus on the cross. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fuel Fuel, let it be fueled by faith in Christ. Look at the text. The mission is fueled by faith. Watch. He said to them, go into all the world. Now verse 6. Whoever believes, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe uh, will be condemned. Now, come on, stop. We've got to do some theology now. We don't want to leave here with a misunderstanding. Is this text actually saying that you have to be baptized to be saved? Come on, lift up your voice. Is that what it's saying? No, no, no not at all. Now, we want to be able to have confidence about that from the text at hand. Let's do a good biblical theology and not have to flip the pages over. What is, how can we look at this text and know for sure? Because in my Bible, it says those who believe and are baptized will be saved. 
Come on, we can gain confidence because as we keep reading, it says those who believe and are baptized will be saved. But now watch, just to clarify, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Do you see what it hinges on? What does it hinge on? Belief. It's those who don't believe. So you don't have to be baptized to believe. But what I think is it's, what I believe is really being said here is this. To make a disciple is to draw out commitment. And so you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but I believe a saved person who longs to serve Jesus will be baptized. And that's why it says in Matthew 28, go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Check out the fuel that comes in faith. Come on, watch this, watch. Verse 17. Those who believe... These signs will accompany those who believe. In, in my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak in new tongues. In my name, they will pick up servants with their hands. In my name, they will drink any deadly poison. In my name, it will not hurt them. In my name, they will lay their hands on the sick. And in my name, they will recover. And there's some of you reading that right there like, all right, pastor, come on, what are you going to do with this? This text has been fulfilled. Everything written in these verses has occurred. Come on. Have you read the book of Acts? The apostles, the capital A apostles, those who were present to receive this mission, those who were present at the day of Pentecost, they heard the people speak in tongues. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 19, tongues of confirmation fell upon the people so that the apostles, the capital A apostles, would know that the mission was going forward. Healing, healing occurred in the first century church to mark and confirm the progress of the gospel. Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 28, people were healed. Acts 19, demons were cast out. Note this, come on. Acts 28, Paul on the island gets some firewood out the fire pile, and as he's getting firewood out the fire, you got to read this for yourself. As he's getting firewood out the fire pile, a snake bites him in the hand. He's like, and so he puts it in the fire, and the snake falls off, and he didn't die. Friends, the Lord God used the apostles to further his mission, and he confirmed the laying of the foundation. Read the book of Ephesians. The foundation of the church was laid upon the prophets and the apostles, and he used these signs among the apostles to further the mission of God. And what I want you to note about this text is this. They never sought these signs. The apostles never sought these signs. It wasn't for them to seek them. It was for the Lord God to apply them wherever he wished. And so what were the apostles faithful to? The apostles were faithful to go forward with the mission. They were faithful to stay focused on the cross. They were faithful to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were faithful to go. They were faithful to, and what does God do? What does God do? He does what God does. Hear this. God can do whatever he wants to do. God can do whatever he wants to do. But I know this, I, we are not called to seek after these gifts. And as a matter of fact, those who do within the book of Acts are actually rebuked by the apostles. Look at Acts chapter 8. 
You see, these signs are the Lord's to perform, not ours to pursue. They're the Lord's to perform, but not ours to pursue. The Lord can do whatever he wants. And so we're going to stay focused on the mission. We're going to stay focused on proclaiming God's word. We're going to stay focused in worshiping him vertically. We're going to stay focused on proclaiming, putting the cross at the center. And if God wants to heal, he's going to heal. And if God wants to do signs, he's going to do signs. Whatever God decides to do, ours is the posture of submission and faith. Why? Because it's by faith that the mission is fueled. The signs are the Lord's to perform, and the Lord can do whatever he wishes. You see, the point here is this, is that all the power, all power to fulfill the mission comes from being forgiven and filled by faith in Christ. The point here is not the sign. The point here is the power. The point here is the power. It's that Jesus Christ is the power. Through the, you see what it says? By Jesus, through Jesus, in the name of Jesus, through Jesus. The point here is that Jesus Christ is the power to fulfill the mission of God in every single context. So why are we fired up about the mission? Because it's focused on the cross. We're fired, out, we're fired up about the mission because it sends us to the ends of the earth to proclaim his name. We're fired up about the mission because it causes us to have to be completely dependent on him for every moment of the day. Because we have no power to live without him. We have no power to reach or cause any effective good in this world without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we trust him and we draw close to him. And we become completely dependent on him. Listen, we can't say the name mission or even work to fulfill it without pressing in to the person of Christ. Which leads us to the fourth point, the mission. We're fired up about the mission because it the mission is fulfilled in the presence of Christ. The mission is fulfilled by gathering together in the presence of Christ. Look at the text. This is powerful. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the founder of the church, He's seated in his rightful place right now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Look at verse 20. How remarkable is this? The creator of the universe, the one who created us, seated with all authority at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with, say with, now say it like you mean it. You got to understand the power of with here. They watched him ascend into heaven. Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ, the King of all things, is seated on his throne. Even as he is positionally reigning over all of creation, come on church, get your heads around this, he is practically dwelling within and among us. The same God who sits on the throne of heaven is dwelling in and among us. Listen, he inhabits the praises of his people. We're told that he's present, illuminating this word, this book. There's something powerful about those who name the name of Jesus gathering together. 
The mission is fulfilled. The mission is fueled in the presence of Christ, but the mission is fulfilled as believers in Jesus Christ are called out from the world and they make their way together collectively, corporately, and they come together as the family of God. We are confident and we are fired up because the progress of the mission is evidenced in that Christ is reigning among us. When Christ's name is lifted high, we know the mission is going forward. When our ministry remains to be vertical to the Lord, when he reigns preeminent over all, when he is with us, then we can go about sending. Yes, we are loved, but it's only when we love unto the Lord that we have the ability and the power and the means to be sent. Worshiping churches become sending churches. Verse 20, they went and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them, with them, with them. The mission unifies us. One purpose, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God of all, one Lord of all who is over all, who is in all. We are one in Christ. We are the church. Jesus said he'd build his church he builds his church by empowering the church. He makes disciples by empowering disciples. And the church finds its power by being with Jesus. We are fired up about the mission because the mission of the church is mission. And the mission is to draw people out of darkness into the family of God. It's to take orphans and make them sons and daughters. It's to take those who are far off and see them come near in the presence of Christ. We are the body of Christ. That's the mission. Our mission is to replicate, to replicate here, near and far, to plant churches to the glory of God. And so, the mission is focused on the cross of Christ. The mission is furthered by proclaiming Christ to the nations. The mission is fueled by drawing close into the faith of Christ. And the mission is fulfilled by seeing unity and the replication of Christ's church around the world. And so we've labored, we've labored to try to present an image that could begin to capture the mission that God's called us to. How do you begin to capture all of that? How do you begin in an image to begin to kind of de declare, for an image to go out before us, for people to see it and know who we are and know what we're about? And so we've labored and we've prayed. What kind of mark could possibly do this? So after much prayer and privilege, after much prayer, it is my privilege to share with you our logo that we desire that we desire for people to see, the logo that we believe represents us best. The logo, this mark, we pray, will keep us focused on the cross, will remind us that we need to proclaim to the world. We pray that it will remind us to draw close to Jesus. And we pray that it will always, always, always convict us to remain unified in our purposes to replicate the church of Christ around the world. And so here it is. Take a look. 
Now here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice this, the mission, the mission, the mission when you look at this, this mark, what I want you to see is this, the mission is focused on the cross of Christ. When you look at this, when you look at this, I want you to see that the mission is focused on the cross of Christ. Can you put the images on the back screen, please, so I can see what's behind me? <laughs> when you look at this logo, I want you to be reminded that the mission is furthered by the proclamation of Christ to the world. I want you to see, I want you when you see this logo to see and to be reminded that as we're focused on the cross of Christ, that this, these compass points, this north, this south, this east, this west, these are the directional markers that remind us that we are not of ourselves, that we're not for ourselves. We're for the purpose of declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. It's focused on the cross of Christ. It's furthered by proclamation of Christ. Now this, it's fueled by our faith in Christ. And so when you look at this mark, the very creative people labor to try to capture these truths for us in a visual way. You'll notice in the blue negative space, there's something that looks like an X, but to somebody who understands Greek and early church symbolism would recognize it as a chi. It's the first letter for the name of Christ. This symbol, among others, was etched in the catacombs of Rome. And so as we look at this, what I want us to remember is this. We're just one generation who's come after the last generation who's left to carry on the mission. What I want us to see when we look at this mark is this. There's a generation that will come after us, and we're all linked. We all stand upon the shoulders of those who've gone before us. We are here because others have gone there. We are here. Others have suffered. Others have bled. Others have died for the cause and the mission of Christ. And if we could be counted faithful in some small, marginal way to that end, what could the Lord do with us? What could we accomplish in his name? As we press in, as we press in, the very arrows that press in make this symbol clear to us. The mission is accomplished only as we press into the Lord. We're fueled by His presence and His presence alone. And so the more we worship Him, the farther our reach will be. And now finally this, when you look at this mark, I want you to see that the mission is fulfilled by the power and the unifying presence of Jesus Christ. This circle reminds us, this very circle, it takes the arrows pressing in and it takes the circle of unity, which then, when it's all put together, creates this Kai symbol in the middle, reminding us of this, this is our role, to stay as one that we can replicate the one, to be a strong unified church that other strong unified churches can be formed to be disciples of Jesus Christ, to perform the one another's with each other because Jesus Christ has empowered us to do so. What is the mission about? It's about focusing on the cross of Christ. That's the action that Christ performed that paid the penalty of our sins. He rose from the dead, giving us a message to go and declare. 
And as we go and declare it, we're reminded that we need to be in His presence. He manifests His presence amongst the praises of His people. Oh, and that we would be unified around the person, the person, the person, and the cause of Christ. Today, we take a name that communicates who we are and what we're about. We are the church of Christ. We are the church. That's who we are. And what we're about is the mission. To bring clarity to Christ's mission because words matter. Starting next week, we will be studying through all the Great Commission passages in the gospel so that we all have a keen understanding of what the Lord has called us to do and who he's called us to be. And then following that, we're going to do a six-week series on the key distinctives that are necessary for us to fulfill the mission of Christ. You see, we're thrilled to have Christ at the center of our mission. Therefore, at the center of every ministry of our church will be this, mission. So, mission kids, mission students, mission worship, and then this mission network. Those whom the Lord has called us to partner with internationally and locally. The Great Commission Collective, our church planting network with, we, who we, with whom we love, with whom we are blessed to partner. We love that our name complements their name so well. Friends, we believe the Lord has been guiding us through this entire process. Unity, creativity, who could have planned the timing? Such precision, even down to the colors that try to capture the tonality of our culture of who we believe, what it feels like to come so often is captured in this way. Much has been accomplished in a very short time. I want to encourage you to use the name right away. Use the name right away. All right? Use the name right away. Is that all right? Can you use the name right away? Can you say the name? Man, it sounds so good. Say the name mission, contribute to the mission. Over the next few weeks, more clarity will develop. Uh, you'll see the signs around here begin to change. Uh, you'll see uh, both the signs here at this wonderful campus and our beautiful campus in Myerstown. Uh, you'll be reminded when you walk into this worship center why it is we come. Our literature, our web page as well will all be updated. Right now you'll find a splash page that says Why Mission Church and it helps others to understand why our mark is what it is and what we desire for it to communicate. And it really doesn't become official until you got a little bit of swag. Is that all right? Y'all up for some swag? Come on. Come on. You want some swag? Here's the deal. Y'all bought a ton of t-shirts at Christmas time, didn't you? Come on. And then we went and changed the name. Brian Bittler has promised me that if you bring, we're going to do a t-shirt trade-in. Trade one, get one. You, so you, you really seem... Uh, Friends, we're excited. We believe this is the Lord's doing. His work is marvelous in our eyes. And while new beginnings, while new beginnings can be both exhilarating and frightening, much of the fear has subsided today just looking into your eyes. A lot of planning, a lot of prayer, a lot of hope has led to this moment. And as fired up as we are about the name Mission Church, we're more fired up about the name that it points to. 
we're fired up that we're are we are called as the church of christ to draw attention primarily and only to the name of christ and if mission church gets us there may we live up to that name are you on with that are you on with that come on all right why don't you come on stand to your feet why don't you stand to your feet we're going to sing first vertically to the lord reminding ourselves that it's not about the name of mission it's about the name of jesus and so let's sing let's sing together <laughs>